Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz and Mark Brennan sporting the sunglasses. If you're watching us on YouTube, why not? He's down in Florida. I don't care if he's in a hotel room. Covering the Outback Bowl early on for us at uh, Lions 24-7 with Fight on State. Uh, Mark, you've had a chance to, to see Penn State. Uh, we're going to be down there following you to Tampa as this week goes. But we figured it's time to get you on the podcast. You've had a firsthand look along with your daughter, Grace Brennan, who I know has done a great job shooting photos for us and video. Um, but welcome back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Not that you need an introduction around here. Yeah, it's great to be here. I wanted to do this from the pool, but it was like loud music and uh, it was kind of wet. And, you know, it's, it's like 75 and a little breezy, so I was getting chilly out there. So I figured I better come back up and, and warm up a little bit. So I, I'm sorry, I forgot to take off my shades. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's tough down here. I mean, the weather's kind of been, been kind of tough, you know, the seventies and only dip, dipping down to the high fifties at night has been brutal. We, I've been we, jealous we really of feel you. For, yeah, yeah. We really yeah. feel I, for you. It's, it's white <laughs> here in state college. we got a nice little snow coating this morning. So I don't know. Uh, I know Tyler's in New Jersey. You're in Florida. I'm in state college, but uh, it's a little bit easier to travel with where you're at and you, with your family as compared to Tyler and I. So, um, but uh, no, it's great. To, it's great to have you on. You went down early um, as, as you often do for these bowl trips and got to see Penn state arrive for the Outback bowl. Um, you know, it, it, with, with these days, with any of these bowl games, you're holding your breath, making sure the team gets there. That flight made it down there uh, on Christmas night, and you were you were there for the arrival. Some notable no-shows, some notable guys showing up. Um, we have some notes on the site at Lions 24-7. Uh, what can you tell us about what you saw uh, first per from a first-person perspective down in, in Tampa? Yeah, first and foremost, you know, as we record this, uh, some of the key names, we still don't know because the team did not arrive all at once. And even when we saw them arrive uh, at practice, I mean, arrive at the team hotel the other day, even when we saw them arrive at practice, it was in four buses and guys were coming in in all different areas. So I think we might have a feel for the way things may go with Dotson and AK and Congo, but we, we don't know for sure. We can't report anything definitively. What we could report definitively from the team arrival uh, over at the Grand High, which is only about a mile from here. It's pretty cool. The, the setup is, is pretty cool. Uh, was, you know, one of the mysteries that was solved is what was the story with Rashid Walker? Now, we don't know exactly what it was, but the big left tackle was on crutches. Uh, and this was a public setting. I don't think we violated any trust. It was a media. I mean, they build it as a media event. And when he came hobbling in, it's like, oh, OK. And I think if people watch the video, you could actually hear me saying, which sometimes when you're, you're video recording, you're a dope and you forget that it, you're being recorded as well. And I'm like, oh, that explains some things. You could actually hear me saying that. And uh, yeah, it's too bad for him that he got banged up. But I think it's a good sign for Penn State that he's down here. Again, we don't know anything for sure about his future. But the fact that, you know, people were wondering, is he going to opt out? You know, there, there were people on uh, in different areas saying things like, um, hey, this guy gave up on the team, that sort of thing. Not the case. I mean, clearly he was banged up. Don't know what the injury is. Not sure we will find out what it is. 
but he was hobbling around on crutches as well. And then I think the, you know there was also a rumor about Jesse Lucada, and he was at the he was at the team hotel before we got there. Uh, a bunch of the Canadian guys must have flown down. I don't know if they came down together because they're from some of them are from different areas. Uh, but but yeah, he was there, and I think that's a really good sign because. You know, here's a guy who can help you at defensive end. He can help you at linebacker, and those could be two areas. That one area is obviously uh, definitely impacted by opt outs, and another one could be. And I'm trying to think of what else. If there, oh yeah, and then I think the other good sign was that we saw yesterday at practice uh, coming in looking really good. Uh, he's obviously not going to play, uh, but the fact that he's with the team, uh, PJ Mustafer, you know, said hello as he always does on his way in, big grin on his face. Uh, was walking without any apparent pain. And listen, I'm not trying to give medical diagnoses here, but to see a guy who underwent some sort of surgery back in October here with the team uh, and and showing up at practice, obviously wasn't able to practice. We didn't see practice, but I'm just assuming he didn't do anything at practice. He didn't look like he was ready to, to, to go do that. But I thought that was a good sign as well. So if there's anything I'm missing, I think I covered some of the key guys. Yeah, I think that uh, Mustafa being there is is a good sign. I, I do think he'll be back. I mean, I, I don't uh, know if that's going to be an announcement that comes out uh, before the bowl, after the bowl, whatever. Um, but uh, we we think he can benefit from another year. I think I think all three of us feel that way because he just got that that year taken from him with the injury. But that's uh, that'd be a big boost. And James Franklin said at bowl practice or bowl media day uh, about two weeks ago that they expected some some movement on the defensive tackle front. And I think some people took that to mean, you know, leaving, but uh, could be staying as well. Walker, I think you make a great point, just him being there. We saw him after, it was before the Michigan State game. Um, he was hobbling out of practice, uh, just was there. So to me, this seems like a situation where you get to the end of the season, you get some things cleaned up um, as they do, and he's on crutches now. But I agree with you, him being there um, is a little bit unexpected to me uh, from a standpoint that you, you thought he might be out the door, um, but him being there says – that I think he's he's at least probably considering it heavily to come back for another year, which I think he should, given the year that he had. Yeah, I agree with that, Tyler. Not to I just just I want to make one point. I think in in kind of pre-writing some things, just in case things happen. Uh, I think Walker's only twenty or twenty-one years old. I mean, he's a he, you know, and for an offensive lineman, that's not necessary. I think he has room to grow. I'm not sure you can you can look at his season as anything other than a bit of a disappointment. So I think he's a guy, you're with the same offensive line coach for a third year, you're in the program, uh, you know, I think it can't do anything but, but help him. And again, I, I agree with, with, with you, Sean. Uh, P.J. Mustafer, had he not been banged up, I think it would have been a no-brainer for him to leave. But I think he's the kind of guy who can come back from an injury and really prove himself and, and be a high, high draft pick. Yeah, Mustafer was a second All Big Ten pick, playing half of a football season. Yeah. That that says a lot about the the eyes that he opened earlier this year. And, and we've said a lot. If Mustafer's back, that's great news for for Penn State. Potentially great news for him in the conversation about the 2023 NFL draft. But going back to Walker real quick, that one stood out to me because when a guy's on crutches and he's showing up, um, and and he's taking the time to travel with the team and going through all the things that the team is going to want you to do. You're not just, you know, freewheeling it down in Tampa. You're, you're with the team. You're a member of the team. I think a lot of us were wondering, is Rasheed Walker still a member of this team coming out of the season, going into December? Is, is he, is he eyes forward? Is he focused on the next level? And I think the big question is, is here, if he is back as a potential fourth year starter at the left tackle position, and we spent a lot of time last episode, Mark, 
talking about how thin it looks right now at tackle going into the offseason. Well, that's interesting, but I, I'm really going to be curious to hear how he describes the motivation because last offseason, the motivation was a, a full offseason with Phil Troutwine, putting his eggs in that basket, putting his trust in Phil Troutwine, and then using this year as the launch pad, as the springboard. Didn't happen that way. And so you know, what, what kind of a Rasheed Walker and what kind of relationship are you getting uh, between him and his and his position coach? We, we know that they're very close, but um, you know, I think I think it's going to be really interesting because the whole story was, you know, this is the season where Rasheed's going to take it to another level. That didn't happen. And now what's the dialogue and the narrative going to be about Walker going into this offseason if he's still with the program? Just a guy that I don't think any of us really accounted for potentially being on the 2022 roster. And if it's trending in that direction and you're reporting down in Tampa kind of leads me to believe it may be, um, then uh, that's that's something that both the offensive lineman and Rasheed Walker and the offensive line coach, um, they both would probably like a redo on how 2021 went. Well, well for, forget all... about the oh, sorry, Mark, yeah. but forget about yeah. the the off the field stuff and, and getting it. Penn State needs as many tackles as they can get. I mean, let's look at what they've done over the last two years. So if you get Walker back and an unexpected boost, I think we would consider it. If you get Olu Fashanu ready for next year, does that mean you can swing Caden Wallace to the interior? Just gives you so much. Just even one more body there at tackle just gives you so many more options that you can do with that offensive line. And you know, God knows they need a reset, no doubt. Um, but uh, to get a guy like Walker back. I think would be an unexpected but welcome boost. And they have Sorry. so many guys who they probably may be depending on who have barely played. And you know, I thought this was going to be the season where, yeah, we're this deep, they were going to play. And I know a couple injuries factored into that, but I don't think it can do anything but help. Now, the Rashid Walker that we talked to, very low-key, obviously doesn't like dealing with the media, but he was named the team captain for a reason. Yeah, not because he deals with the media well, but I think because he's probably a good leader within that offensive line room. I'm not in that room. I don't know for sure, but I, they just don't name guys team captains. And I think having him from a leadership perspective, listen, if he's not comfortable dealing with us, that's completely cool. I wouldn't be comfortable dealing with us. Uh, but for a guy like that, to have him back as a leader, it, it goes back to when, when people were talking about Sean Clifford coming back and some people were like, well, this is, you know, it's like simply from a leadership perspective, having that guy working with younger players, I think, is a positive. And I think that's the same thing about Rashid. One other guy I wanted to mention, unless did you guys uh, have anything else on Rashid? Because there's one other guy I wanted to mention that I forgot. No, I, well, I had something on Jesse Lucetta, but I'm Yeah, go ahead. Do, do look I'm at surprised it. surprised by that. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh -huh. well, last I mean, last episode, Sean and I were, were basically pointing to Lucetta and his availability as, as such a, a crux part of the conversation with this defensive personnel in terms of what they're going to have available at defensive end, at middle linebacker, Ellis Brooks is out of the uh, equation now. Brandon Smith's out of the equation. You mentioned Arnold Ebicady. Are we going to see him in Tampa? It doesn't seem that way. So Lucetta, what's he going to make the trip down to Tampa? Now that that's crossed off the list, you're getting some leadership there. You're getting some big help on the practice field. Remember, Brett Pry is not out there right now, the linebackers coach, the defensive coordinator. So I think Lucetta's presence, that, that's a nice boost for this team too because just when we last spoke, I think, uh, last Thursday or last Wednesday, we weren't sure if, if number 40 was going to be making this trip. Yeah, the other guy who I, I should have mentioned that I didn't, and I've tried to put photos of him in as many of the galleries as we have, is Adisa Isaac, because he's been out all year. Uh, he was walking to practice yesterday. You know, for a lot of times when we saw him back in State College, sometimes he would dress, sometimes he wouldn't. He barely did anything. 
uh, if he, if anything at all, when we were there. And I'm not sure what he's doing here. But I think the simple fact that you have that guy again, still, you know, not moping, not doing whatever, whatever injury he's dealing with. And Sean, I'm, you're, I'm sure you're more plugged in on it than I am. But whatever he's dealing with, that's a guy that everybody's forgotten about. And if they could get him back at anything close to 100% next year. I think he could be huge for them, especially, you know, most likely losing a guy like AK. I think people forget how good he was. And I think it's really important that he's still engaged with the team. He's still going to practice. He's still very much a part of things. I was very high on him before he got banged up. I think all of us were. And I think he's a guy with a bright future. Yeah, I think he'd be a pivotal guy next year. I think Penn State's still going to uh, go for the transfer portal to find another edge guy that can get after the quarterback. But, uh, you know, if Adisa comes back and he is in the form that you expected him to be this year, I still think he had a, a big leap to make from uh, from 2020 to 2021. Um, but as a full-time starter, sometimes that happens. Um, but you've got Tarburton, Smith Filbert, uh, Zariah Fisher. Um, you know, it, those guys are a little bit different than Isaac. You know, he's just, I think Isaac gives you a little bit more of an all around pass rusher slash guy that can play the run. Um, so him coming back and him being there um, is great. He's been at all the practices. I know he's been, um, you know, really present, I guess what we would say with that. So that that's good to see him there and, and to see as many of those veterans that they could get back, even though they are going to hit the portal hard and try and go after a defensive end, a linebacker and, and see what else comes of it. Um, we'll get to uh, the, the first pickup in the transfer portal here a little bit later in the episode, but getting all those guys back on defense and then you get Joey Porter back. You potentially get PJ Mustafer back. This defense, while it still has holes to fill, especially at that second level with Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks moving on, it's starting to look pretty decent for next year. Yeah, and I think when you bring in a coordinator like Manny Diaz, I mean that to me that was a really good get. So all of a sudden, you know, people were thinking, "Hey, what is this defense going to look like?" And I think it has a chance to to look pretty good. I mean, I I, I don't know. I'm sure you guys have discussed it, but you know, I, I still scratch my head a little bit over the Brandon Smith decision. You know, I think he's a guy who really could have uh, really could have improved uh, his his. Uh, stock going forward. I don't think he had a particularly good year. I don't think the stats reflect necessarily the way he played. Uh, but even without him, you know, yeah, they, they need people to step up at linebacker. But does that free them, free them up to do some things with Curtis Jacobs uh, that maybe they were reluctant to do with Brandon Smith? I don't know. But I just figured I would throw that out there because I didn't get a chance to discuss it with you guys at all. But that's the one guy. When I look at these guys making decisions, I'm always like, hey, do what's best for you. And for a guy like Dotson, I mean, what else does he have to prove? For a guy like AK, what is what else does he have to prove? Uh, but I think a guy, to me, a guy like Brandon Smith still probably had some things to prove. Yeah, and you, 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 and I have seen a lot of bowl games where guys, you know, just uh, you leap into the next level, whether that be the NFL draft or, or a senior season or something like that. And I think uh, Brandon Smith could have really used that. Um, but and 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 you could probably add Brisker to your list of guys that probably don't have anything to prove. So we'll right. see Keaton Ellis and and Jay, Jalen Reed and things like that. Um, I'll be interested to see how. And this is probably more of a big picture conversation, but they're going to have to move Curtis Jacobs into the box to get him on the on the field, basically every play against Arkansas. But I'm curious to see what Manny Diaz's defense looks like from an outside linebacker perspective. You know, you you've played so long 
um, in the system under Bob Shoup, under Brent Pry, with two linebackers in the box, the Will and the Mike. Um, the Mike, obviously, the, the traditional middle linebacker, the Will, kind of a pseudo middle linebacker beside him. And then the Sam is just out on his own. I'm curious to see if that's the approach that they take and how that impacts what how they use Curtis Jacobs next year. Because I thought Curtis Jacobs um, for a stretch uh, at this for a stretch this season, at least, was the most active linebacker, was the best linebacker that they had out there making plays. I think uh, Ellis Brooks was certainly solid, but in terms of of high level ceiling guys making plays, Curtis Jacobs did some really special things. I thought from that Sam position. Now, if you move him into the box, or or if they have a spot for two box linebackers, I'm curious to see what his future looks like there. Um, that's like I said, more of a big picture topic, but I think you're going to have to put him in the box against Arkansas because. You don't have the bodies to get around um, like you did th- for, for the majority of this season. Yeah, you're talking about a team that runs it 40 times a game, right? So, the, the, and, and given who they lost, may run it 60 times in this game after seeing what Illinois did to Penn State. So, uh, yeah, they're going to need him to step. I, I don't know. And again, I, I, I haven't been on every week with you guys, but I still look back and I don't, I'm not sure what I was missing why they were taking Curtis Jacobs off the field in nickel and dime situations. Because to me, he seems like a guy who uh, was more capable of doing things in the, in open field situations. I mean, he clearly was more capable of doing it in open situations than Brandon Smith. I mean, there's no question about that. I don't think anybody could argue that. So uh, that's a a bit of looking back, but John, when you said, Hey, these, this, something's a big picture topic. That's what these bowl games are all about. The media coverage We'll spend as much time asking guys about players who are, you know, young players who are looking good. And, you know, I think Penn State's probably even looking at it as, hey, how do you start preparing for the next season? Because really, what's at stake here? You know, it, it's I think you're better off looking at it as a stepping stone to next season. And oh, my goodness, Outback Bowl champions. Yes, yes. Well, I think a guy who plays into both the this week and what we're looking at in a matchup perspective and then 2022 and that linebacker conversation may be Jonathan Sutherland. And he announced uh, just a few days ago that he is sticking with the team for 2022. Hadn't been a name that we had gone to during our conversations. We had mentioned Mustafer, maybe Luketa, and of course, Sean Clifford, but turns out Sean Clifford likely won't be the only four time team captain on this roster next year. Jonathan Sutherland, three time special teams captain, And we talked about this on the last episode with the movement at linebacker this postseason. Probably he's going to be stepping up again. You're going to you're going to expect to see him playing some of that sand position. He started in that role with Curtis Jacobs on available against Rutgers. um, And he finished off his message that he's coming back for 2022 with that hashtag LBU, which was a little bit of a a teaser, it, it would seem. And. So year number six uh, at the forefront uh, coming up for Jonathan Sutherland, but potentially his second start at linebacker in a three-week span, uh, in a three-game span, I should say, against Arkansas. Yeah, I think you're going to have to play Sutherland at that Sam spot because just numbers uh, dictate everything that's going on right there. Curious to see what they do with Kobe King and Jamari Budden. But at the same time, I think Sutherland's going to be a guy that, that, that eats up most of those reps at Sam. Uh, curious to see how this works in the long term. We expected more of him at Sam this year, but I think Curtis Jacobs really embraced that and took the next level. It, it's funny because you look at Sutherland, and, and and I don't know that he took snaps away from anybody this year, if that makes sense. I mean, he was a special teams guy, didn't play a ton on defense. And, you know, when, when he was at safety, 
um, taking those reps. It was because somebody was banged up or something like that. It's not like he was he was uh, you know in the way of Jalen Reed or something of, of that nature. So I'm curious to see if that's something that happens next year. Maybe Budden gets uh, you know maybe he's in a competition with a redshirt freshman, something like that. Because what we've seen of John Sutherland is is not. You know, he doesn't jump off the page or anything like that. He's not he's not a guy that you look to, you know, if this is one of your starters on defense, you probably have more questions than, than answers at that point. So we'll see what ha- what happens with him. I'm kind of bummed because I was hoping Chris Stoll would get that number zero and we could see a long snapper wearing number zero. Um, but I guess Sutherland's got that for, for another season this year. I'm curious to see how he fits. Uh, is he a too deep guy or is he a starter? I mean, I think you could make the argument that he's probably a little bit more valuable as a too deep guy and a special teams guy than a starter right now. Yeah, he's exactly. kind of a band, band-aid yeah. defender is what I would say. Like, it, like they had an issue popped up the week before, he was your band-aid. Whether it was linebacker or safety, we, we know what he brings you on special teams, but he was kind of that band-aid defender, and that started week one against Wisconsin. He's a utility guy in baseball. So if your third baseman goes down, he could play third. They could put him in the outfield. He could play first. The only thing he can't do is pitch. It probably could, you know. And I think that's valuable. I mean, to, to have somebody um, – who can you can plug in in different areas and then to be that leader on special teams and beyond that the example that he said got the, and I, I mentioned this early in the season i think the example in this day and age and, and i'm going to sound like the get off my lawn guy but in this day and age when, when guys are so quick to enter the transfer portal when you see two guys like Luqueda and uh, sutherland who are willing to embrace their role and do what's best for the team. I know that sounds corny, but that's what those guys did. And to have that sort of personality back in your room for another year, whether it's the linebacker room, whether it's the special teams room, whether it's the defensive back room, whether it's all of those rooms, I think that's he's another guy. It's a real valuable thing to have him as a leader and as somebody who sets an example more than in just how he plays, but in how he uh, presents himself as a teammate. Oh, we said let's the same start, thing about Sean Clifford. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say, let's clarify this. If guys are announcing right now that they're staying put and it's on that PSU graphic, Penn State wanted them back. It was a it was a mutual kind of conversation that took place, and maybe it wasn't the easiest conversation. Same deal with Sean Clifford. Yeah, I, I, there's some people that are out there that are saying, well, doesn't the Penn State staff have a say in these kind of things? Yes, and they did. Yeah, they certainly do. And we were kind of saying the same thing about Sean Clifford. I mean, even though he is being leaned upon and will be the starter next year, but having that guy, there's something to be said for having that guy around, teaching those guys how to work, teaching those guys how to handle those situations with the, with the two freshmen coming in. So um, I think the, the, the legitimate criticism here is is when you get down to it, how close are you to 85 scholarships? And does Jonathan Sutherland coming back mean that you have one fewer spot taken out of the portal? We've seen how impactful those portal guys can be. And that's that's probably my big question coming out of this is, is do you get, for all the positives that you get with the experience, with the work ethic, with all that stuff in special teams, could you use it, you know, could you use it on a guy that you maybe think could be a game wrecker on that defense? And I don't know that we're going to have an answer for that anytime soon. Well, we do know this. We do know that they know how to crunch the numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there are people much smarter than us with Ivy League degrees and uh, big-time degrees are working on doing this stuff. So it's not an easy thing to do. And I think the point, though, Sean, is really well taken that uh, it's not just uh, it, it's not just something that arbitrarily happens. This is something that's analyzed from both sides. I would say in terms of people taking up those 2022 scholarships, if you had told us – five games into the year that P.J. Mustafer would be one of those guys. And again, no announcement yet. We would have all been stunned. We wouldn't have known he was injured. Joey Porter Jr. probably falls into that category, though, after the first half or so of his second season as a starter. 
with eligibility stuff, believe it or not, he was actually still a freshman in the eyes of the NCAA this year, but he's a third year college player. And we were all thinking he may be out of here before we even realized how good he is. Didn't really work out the, the way he wanted to or what the way the Penn State staff wanted to. He was flagged a lot during the final stretch of the season, some key moments. It was talked about quite a bit with James Franklin after some of these practices. And ultimately, Terry Smith said it's all he wanted for Christmas, and he's getting it. Joey Porter Jr. going to lock down one of those cornerback spots again in 2022. What do you guys make of this decision? That's big to me. I mean, I'm a big Joey Porter fan. Uh, I know a lot of uh, NFL scouts very high on Joey Porter, what he brings to the table in terms of length and, and profile and everything like that. He's got to clean some things up, no doubt about it. Um, he had a rough second half of the season, got flagged for a bunch. And, and you know, I kind of I actually said this before James Franklin did. I think they were looking closely at him, very closely at Joey Porter, more so than we've seen a lot of corners um, in the league. And that's uh, that, that that's something that was apparent to me. And then I think some more people got wind of that. And and, and it really, really took uh, took to the, took to the next level in one of James Franklin's uh, late press conferences. But I think Joey Porter is very talented. I think he's uh, a guy that if you look at what he's been able to do. Um, you know, it's just not one of those things where he's a guy that gets burnt. I mean, he's a guy that gets taught, gets caught up. And when you're close to six, two, that, that might happen there. And the, as you turn and run. So, um, I'm a big fan of Joey Porter, um, getting him back, getting Jair Brown back in that secondary, got to figure out that other corner spot with, with Kalen King and uh, Johnny Dixon, some other guys, uh, in the mix as well. Um, but getting two starters back from your best secondary in program history seems like a good thing. Here's the thing to me about Joey Porter Jr. is that you would rather have a defensive back who is able to do what he can do and, and is too aggressive rather than because you can dial that back. If you have a defensive back who is not as aggressive as he needs to be, that's a hard thing to coach into somebody. You, you can coach technique. You can coach everything in, but you cannot coach that mentality that a lot of these elite cornerbacks have. So I think that's going to be the key for him. And we know that he is surrounded not only by the Penn State staff, but by some great football minds who have gone through that, who have who have performed at the highest level and will help him uh, realize or, or, or figure out how to dial it back. But I think you'd much rather have a cornerback that you can dial some things back than you ask them to do something that's not in their comfort zone. And from key roster attainment to a big pickup in the transfer portal for Penn State, the first of this offseason uh, moving ahead here, Mitchell Tinsley. Uh, if you feel like you've heard that name on this podcast before, you have. Sean has mentioned it a few times. Um, wide receiver was the spot that I pointed to last episode when we were asked in our mailbag question about what positions Penn State should be able to sell pretty well on the market to transfer players. They got one of the most productive players from a prolific offense at Western Kentucky. Uh, Western Kentucky is not going to look the same next year from a personnel standpoint, from a coaching staff standpoint, but they had a lot of fun on offense this year, Sean. One of the best offensive players in the portal, Penn State uh, targeted him. He was not uh, very public with his recruitment or anything like that, but uh, Penn State targeted him and, and, and has been on him for a while, um, entered in, I believe, mid early to mid uh, December, um, but very productive uh, seven catches, 103 yards and two touchdowns in the Boca Raton bowl against app, app state, 87 catches, 1,402 yards and 14 touchdowns for those 14 mm -hmm. scores tied for fourth uh, nationally among receivers. Um, there was speculation. He might follow um, his offensive coordinator from, uh, from Western Kentucky to Texas tech. Uh, he did not do that. Uh, 
nobody could have blamed him for doing that. Um, you know, he was he was Western Kentucky's with those numbers that I just read, second leading receiver, which is just <laughs> unbelievable when you think about it. Um, because they toss it around and they're gonna toss it around at Texas Tech like the Texas Tech that we used to know. Um, so I'm um, you know, looking forward to seeing the, how Mitchell Tinsley fits in. Obviously, you're gonna have to replace Jahan Dotson after this season. Um and he's a guy that's a, that's got a strong body. Um, he's he's got uh, there's a lot to like from a physical profile. I mean, he's not the guy that's that's six four that's going to go up and and be that guy. He's, he's listed at six one two oh five. Um, caught uh, seven catches against uh, seven catches of 127 yards against Michigan State uh, back in back in October, I think it was. Um, so he's he's done it against Big Ten competition. So uh, really curious to see where he fits in uh, with Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert Smith. Of course, you got Malik Mega coming back, but we set it from the jump uh, on the offensive side of the ball. They wanted to add a receiver that could do some big things for them, and they think this guy can come in, he can start right away, and he can play and have an impact in the Big Ten. And they're I think they're pretty happy with their first portal pickup yeah i think the other thing is that it keeps the competition level strong in that room uh you know i think outside of parker washington and obviously john dodson who really stepped up i mean you know lambert smith did at times but you know it's they need to pressure these guys to get better and better and better and bringing in a talented receiver i think just does that and i think it'll make everybody better and you have this quarterback who's played a ton of football. I think that was, again, part of the selling point for any veteran wide receiver out there. You've got your quarterback in Sean Clifford, and uh, Clifford's got a guy he can he can get to know quite a bit here in Mitchell Tinsley. Um, just, just following up really quick on the transfer portal and bringing in Tinsley, this is the first FBS uh, transfer they have had at the wide receiver position during the portal era. They brought in Weston Carr a few years ago, Division II All-American, didn't pan out for Penn State, but – in terms of guys who have been on scholarship, first time they've gone out and really pursued someone. I love the prioritization at the position, Sean. And, you know, I kind of project this kid, uh, Mitchell Tinsley, to come in and and be a guy who kind of, you know, you're counting on him to be a plug-and-play guy. You look at what Taylor Stubblefield said on signing day. We've heard it from James Franklin. We said it on the podcast. You're not going and hunting for guys who have played a lot of football to just add depth and to fill 85 roster uh, scholarship spots. You, this is a plug-and-play kind of thing. We saw across the field for them to some degrees, three starters. Uh, some guys didn't work out as well. But this is a plug-and-play situation, and you know it's a message to those younger wide receivers that you know, might have put in some nice work on the practice field, but this guy's produced at this level. Uh, you got to get on the field on Saturdays. You've got to produce. And outside of really Mega and Keandre Lambert-Smith, you look at who's coming back next year, and, and really no one has done that to this point. And um, spring practice – going to be fun to follow for Taylor Stubblefield's group. You mentioned those uh, comments from Stubblefield on National Signing Day. He said, in terms of the transfer portal, we're not just looking for somebody to add depth. We're going to look for somebody that can be dynamic. I think you can check that box. We want somebody who has shown production. You can certainly check that box. Uh, you want somebody who is ideally leaving on good terms. I haven't heard otherwise. I mean, with a coaching change there, you would hope that's not. You would hope that's the uh, the reasoning for it. You've got to find somebody who will be the best fit because they feel like they have a pretty, or I feel like I have a pretty good room. Um, you know, there's there's questions about where you fit um you know you, you think with one and two parker washington keandre lambert smith you add mitchell tinsley to that so one two three mega is a guy that we think can maybe with an off season make a jump and, and be a third or fourth guy um and then you look at maybe guys like harrison wallace maybe liam clifford in the slot you're curious where where guys stand um you know i, I don't know that Jaden dotton's going to break through you know there's the you've got questions in the middle to bottom part of that scholarship roster at wide receiver and then of course you bring in 
and a fairly big group. And, you know, you think Caden Saunders can play early and, and maybe some of those guys can can do the same. So, I mean, it's a it's a room that, uh, you know, could could use a cage rattling, if you will, to get some of those guys that are, are not starters to, to to get their full potential out of them. And I think uh, there's really no downside in bringing in a guy that caught 87 passes. I know it's a, in a conference. Uh, it, it's in a lower conference, but. I mean, this is a, it's not uh, what was Western car Azusa Pacific. I mean, it's not uh, no offense to, to Winston Eubanks who had to hang it up. It's not Shippensburg. So you've, you've done it against D one competition. You've done it against big 10 competition. So um, Tinsley is, is probably one of the more sought after uh, receivers in the portal and Penn state uh, made him a priority and landed him. Yeah. Sean, it reminded me too, when you mentioned Harrison Wallace, uh, remember he traveled to every away game. Even when he was banged up, he was not in uniform at Iowa, but they still traveled him. And that that they don't do that right. unless they think very highly. Tangwell was the other guy. Veyu obviously traveled every game. Uh, and then the guys who played, you know, traveled every game. But but Harrison Walls was a guy who did not play a lot, but traveled every game. So I, I think they have just wanted to throw that in there because I think that may be something that's a little bit overlooked when we talk about the wideouts. There was a stretch there in 18, 19, where this wide receiver room was kind of wandering through the desert and it, a little aimlessly, rudderlessly. There were some leadership changes. There just wasn't depth and much healthier spot right now. And Mitchell Tinsley adds to that dynamic for 2022. Um, we brought you on for the right five-star mailbag question, Mark. Unless you've got anything else to throw away, I'm going to be uh, 24 hours from now on Tuesday – I'm going to be standing on the Penn State practice field with you down in Tampa, wearing shorts, wearing a T-shirt, hopefully, and uh, along with you and Grace. So I'll be catching up with you. Anything else to, to kind of throw our way that we didn't get to from down in Tampa early on? No, I mean, I think just being I – was, I wasn't around the team a lot. I think maybe for about a half hour or so at the team arrival, we just hung out and took some photos. But it, it seems like a really good vibe within the team. And sometimes when you get to these bowls – I mean, Sean, you've been to bowls – I remember one in particular in Texas, probably with good reason, where the vibe wasn't all that good. Uh, but here, you, the guys seem to be enjoying themselves. And I think that's really key when you get to a bowl is that they're able to kind of balance the having fun. Sources tell me that there was a, a tight end who celebrated a 21st birthday last night. Uh, I don't think they're practicing today. There may have been some things on social media that Grace saw or did not see. I don't know. Uh, uh, but Brent you know, Strange, the I think. <laughs> yeah, I think Brent Strange turned 21. I think that's what I think that's very important. You know, back in the day, way, you know, back in the Joe Paterno era, they would go down for like two and a half weeks for a bowl. And, you know, sometimes it worked, but sometimes they were just so gassed. And I think these guys, I think, have handled it right. They haven't won every bowl, but especially with this one, it just seems have, have allow these guys to have some fun. This isn't the most critical game in the world. You see what's happening with all these other bowls where some of them, they're not even playing them. So use it as a stepping stone toward next year. Don't burn these guys out after a tough season. Let them have some fun. If you win, you win. I don't think it's that big of a deal if you lose. Well, speaking of bowl history, and you've covered a bunch of them, Mark, and Sean, you've covered quite a few yourself. I've covered far less, but the five-star mailbag question leads us down that path. What is the most impressive bowl experience you've encountered while covering Penn State? Mark, we'll lead off with you. I will say for the, for the lower bowls, uh, and I don't mean that as a, as a negative, but I think we know that there are different kind of tiers of bowls. This Outback Bowl, they do a really nice job for the teams, for the media. For This is a first-class operation. It, it really is. Uh, in terms of – it's tough. Am I, are you, is this question about what's the best experience for the team or what's the best experience <laughs> for the media? Ah. Because – 
I can tell you that the Fiesta Bowl and the Cotton Bowl, when it comes to the media, were outstanding in their own right. So I'll do it from a media perspective, just in the sense that um, the uh, the hotel, the media hotel, the Camelback, Scottsdale, Marriott, whatever it is, for the Fiesta Bowl was insane. And the media hospitality suite at the Cotton Bowl, which you guys both saw with the wall of snacks and different games and stuff, uh, that was insane. Uh, but I, I would bet you that if you ask the players, uh, I would think that they would say the Fiesta Bowl. That would be my guess. Maybe it's something that we could ask some of these guys, not necessarily this week. Uh, but, you know, the Rose Bowl to me, great bowl, but it's in L.A. I think it's a little bit uh, – uh, the Rose Bowl people hate me for saying this. I think it's a little bit overrated, the whole experience. I, I don't get, you know, the whole – Pasadena and you know parade and all that stuff. So I would say, yeah, I would say that the the the, the top one uh, for the media would top ones for the media would be the Fiesta and the Cotton Bowl. And if I had to pick one of the two, I would say the Fiesta Bowl. Just a great area, and uh, they do. Penn State's been treated really well there, and I, I've never heard a Penn State player say from way back in the day when they first started going in the early '80s that they had a bad time at the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, Fiesta Bowl's on my list as uh, ones that I regret not going to. Tyler and I were down in Orlando at that point for the Under Armour game, and uh, that one interviewing yeah, Justin Shorter and Ricky Slade, and yeah, we were busy. Well, well worth our time. Um, but uh, no, I, I regret that one. Yeah, I, I will agree with the Cotton Bowl. The Cotton Bowl took us to a private concert by Miranda Lambert, and it was uh, <laughs> every everything you could eat, everything you could drink, and it was yeah. From what I remember, it was awesome. Um, so uh, that was that was cool. I, I do love the Outback Bowl. I stump for the Outback Bowl every chance I get. But uh, yeah, the Cotton Bowl put it up there. It's really tough to really tough to beat. And I know that's not the sexiest of the New Year's Six, uh, but a uh, really big fan of the Cotton Bowl here. Yeah, one other Absolutely. thing about the Outback Bowl, and I think this is this this is a media thing, but I think it's pretty cool. Is this is my fifth time covering uh, the Outback Bowl, and the guy who hosts the media hospitality suite, John, and I forget his last John. name. I'm sorry, John. And his wife have been doing it for what 25 years. He, he's been at every single one of them. So I, I I went in there last night and was like, "Hey, how's it going? I've been to a bunch of these." And he's obviously he's not going to remember every single person who's gone through this. Uh, but that is a really nice touch, you know. It's uh, he, he's he, these people volunteer for these bowls. Uh, they hang out. They tell you where to go to to if you need to go shopping for something. If you need to to book a room uh, at a different hotel because this one's full. If you need to go out for dinner, uh, so I, I would just say at all these bowls, there are so many really really good people who help out the team and who help out the uh, who help out the media. It's and the fans when they ultimately get here. So it's a really cool experience and. I hope that it's always able to kind of maintain, even if they go to a playoff, because they, these are some special people and some special games, and it's and it's a it's a cool situation. Mark, my hang up with John before I get you, Tyler. My hang up with John is yeah. I think the last time we were there, there were rumors that he was retiring. So I don't know if that was just a uh, yeah, to get his tip jar filled or something like that. But he's still there. He's still kicking. I believe we watched the. Uh, the uh, uh, Oklahoma Boise State Statue of Liberty game yes. in that in that suite as well. So, um, but John, uh, if you're a con artist, you're a pretty good one. So we appreciate you. Hey guys, this uh, is a brand new hotel. This is the first year they've been at this hotel, and it's brand new. I mean, I, that's what they told me last night. So it's a pretty cool setup, and I think one of Sean's favorite restaurants is literally within walking distance, the World of Beer. So I stopped by there last night. It was terrific. Uh, Tampa's <laughs> a really good area outside of the traffic. 
uh, it's a cool place to be. Clearwater's not far away. Uh, the one thing I should mention is the uh, Tampa Jesuit High School, where Penn State's practicing. I'm like, what's going on? I mean, how, how does Arkansas end up at Tampa University or whatever it was, and Penn State ends up at Tampa Jesuit High School? This high school is nicer and bigger than a lot of colleges. I mean, I could not believe what I, I was like. You're, you were rolling into an Ivy League college in the middle of Tampa. You know, great field. So they obviously knew what they were doing in booking this, this field. You guys, it'll be cool when you get a chance to see it. Uh, really nice, uh, really nice high school in the middle of Tampa. Very cool place. Well, I grew up in Tampa, on, in the Tampa area until I was 11 years old. So I'm looking forward to getting back down there. Um, haven't attended an Outback Bowl, but we had inaugural season tickets at Raymond James Stadium in 1998 and Tony Dungy's Bucks. So it'll be nice to get back in that one in the press box. And uh, again, very short sample size on my end. I was down in Orlando with Sean for the uh, for the Fiesta Bowl, which everyone gave rave reviews. The Citrus Bowl wasn't a wasn't the nicest week in Orlando. It was a pretty sleepy game to cover, and uh, I'll tell you everything about the Cotton Bowl from when we got there, the way we were treated, to the way the game turned out. And there was almost 100 total points scored, and just absolute dominant individual performances on both sides of the ball from Micah Parsons. Journey Brown. That's my vote until further notice. So, uh, and it's pretty incredible that you have covered the team this long, Mark, and that's where you go to. So I feel pretty good about that. Uh, well, you know what I should have said, though? <laughs> what I should have said, and it's just dawning on me now. So when this comes up next year, I'm going to know exactly what to say. I'm going to say, if there was one bowl you absolutely should never, ever miss, it's the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, they, it was the greatest time. And I can't, you know, if people had a chance to cover that, weren't able to get there, I just feel awful for them. Just being, you know, as Thank we you. like to to, to to trade jabs now and then. But I wasn't smart enough and quick enough to do that, so I gave my honest opinion. Uh, but you guys, you're going to be able to get to enough bowls. You don't have to worry about it. As as these things go along, uh, yeah, you'll be covering uh, more bowls than, than you than you can remember. And I'm at, I'm literally at that point now where sometimes you forget, geez, how many of these things have I been at? But it's been a lot. Well, we'll see you very soon. I'll be down there Tuesday. Sean will be rolling through a little bit later in the week before kickoff on Saturday. And uh, some more podcast episodes coming your way between now and then. It's a daily development situation across college football, if you haven't noticed, whether bowls are even being played, personnel stuff. it's Follow the Penn State News at lines247.com. Hopefully we don't have to do anything about bowl postponements, bowl cancellations, but we're not quite done sorting through this Penn State roster who's available, who's officially unavailable. So a lot to still learn here on game week. Um, for Sean, for Mark, for our producer, Lance Glenn, we'll step aside for now. And next time we join you, I'll be down in the sun wearing my sunglasses with Mark. Take care, folks. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.